HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello and welcome to A Taste of the Past on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Linda Palaccio, your host, and today's program is being sponsored by TechServe. Radio, the Heritage Radio Network is supported by TechServe. It has, has an e-waste recycling event created to help keep hazardous materials out of landfills by recycling electronics. Saturday, July 10th, here in New York City from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. is the event at 23rd Street near 6th Avenue. Info at techserve.com will tell you everything you know about the recycling program. And today we have a special event too, and that is something we're doing here on Heritage Radio Network uh, for the lucky caller or emailer. Our fifth caller or emailer today will receive free porterhouse pork chops from Heritage Foods USA and tickets to the New York City Film Festival events, uh, the the wonderful food on film events that are happening throughout the city this month. So email, if you've logged on, all you have to do is email us. There's a a link at the bottom. Or you can call at 718-497-2128. Today we have a very, very special guest who is also a host of his own show, Jimmy Carbone, who hosts Beer Sessions here on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome, Jimmy. Hello, how are you? Uh, well, I'm fine, and I know I'm going to do even better after we crack open one of those beers. Hold on, just turn up your volume on your, on your headphones and you should be okay. And we have little technical difficulties here. And... Um, we're talking, of course, what else are we going to talk about? I think about? that sounds good. There you go. We're going to talk about... Craft beer. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I thought it was wine. No. But be- before we do that, we just... You know, this is a, a show about culinary history. Now, history can be long ago, or history can be in the making, right? Yes. I mean, you're making history. The people who are making the craft beers are making history. But just sort of to set up why why all this attention to beer all of a sudden is you sort of have to know where we came from and it's a lot of people think that wine is the oldest 
beverage, alcoholic beverage that was brewed. And, you know, thinking of um, the Romans, of course, probably. Uh, but beer really is the one of the oldest beverages known in, to uh, anthropologists and archaeologists. And they found, I mean, actually found evidence, you know, in those, in those pottery amphoras and, and jars. Um, chemical evidence dating back as far as 5,000 BCE of people brewing beer. Um, the Sumerians and the Mesopotamians, we know, brewed beer. A lot of this all followed. As soon as they knew how to, they learned how to harvest grains. They would grow grains, obviously, because they had to live, and they would stay in an area for a while in fertile plains, grow the grains. A way of preserving the grains uh, ended up in some fermentation, <laughs> and voila, they had beer. Uh, and that, and then that, of course, you know, pursued. Most of the brewing was domestic brewing, but not long. I mean, you get into about uh, the third century BCE, and you actually have production, mass production. I mean, brewing and you know, in the the Asiatic lands in the Far East. In fact, in China, the evidence of beer goes back even further. Um, they probably about 7,000 BCE. There's the evidence of, of them having brewed beer, and then then rice quickly took over, and then rice wines um, were what were brewed. Um, about the Middle Ages, or even before the Middle Ages, the monks took over the monastery. And I think you know, interesting. You wonder why <laughs> why why they took over. They had to sublimate all those other desires into something. Except why not brew and get drunk, right? Um, but it's but beer um, beer has an interesting history of being medicinal also and and healthy. I mean, you, you, it's got a lot of nutrition and carbohydrates in it, right? Well, you're, you're, Jimmy's going, yeah, but let's just drink it. <laughs> well, you, you can have a pure vegetarian diet just by drinking good beer. There you go. <laughs> right. uh, and so now all of a sudden we have, all of a sudden, I mean, beer, you know, primarily the brewers, and like it, it, as far back as the Middle Ages, even before, actually long before, were women. I've heard that. Did you? Yes. And there's a, a a prayer or a hymn to Ninkazi, the goddess of beer. It, it, the, the story is that as things were more home based or agriculture based, women did it, and then somehow when it became like profit based or control, there was some kind of corporate or church control. It became men. Then the men came in. Well, and the monk, I think the monks taking over had a lot to do with that as well. Um, yeah, well, the industrial revolution came along, and it became you know mass produced. Well, happy for some people. Yeah, it's, it's hard to relate to that. I mean, that's one thing we talk about food history, trying to relate to how it's changed. I mean, we, we, we still think we go to the, the store or a bar and we get a bottle of beer or, you know, beer on draft. And uh, you forget how simple it is to make. And the, the, the rise of the homebrew movement now is the real story because it, 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 people can make it in their home with very simple ingredients. Well, that's what I wanted to get to because, first of all, I didn't give you the proper introduction, assuming people all know who you are from your, your show on the radio, Beer Sessions. But uh, Jimmy is the owner of Jimmy's 43, which is an uber uh, beer bar. And, and you, do, you present a lot of really fine craft beers. And i got to tell you, I'm on... Facebook, Jimmy's one of my friends on Facebook, whether you knew it or not, or Jimmy's 43 is or whatever. I think I get more notifications on Facebook from Jimmy's than anything else. But you are a, a fantastic promoter of the craft beer movement. And you have, a, you, you have wonderful events all the time presenting different craft beers. But the, um, 
Jimmy's 43 is a, is a terrific beer bar in the East Village for those of, in New York City, for those who don't know. And you're also the co-founder of the Good Beer Seal. So before we get into talking about the, the, these new craft beers and how they're brewed, I want to know, what is the Good Beer Seal? <clears throat> well, the Good Beer Seal, uh, about two years ago, there were some new kind of beer promotions in New York. One of them was called New York City Craft Beer Week. And uh, some of the, the bar owners got together and said, you know, we really need to, to, to do something where we just talk about our bars. And uh, it, it became, we created this thing, Good Beer Seal. And, um, wow, going back to talking about food history, this, this is almost history now right. to me. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what we did. Um, but the, it, we decided that we wanted to focus on the small, independently owned bars that served really good craft beer. Um, as opposed to because at that time there, there were a lot of new larger bars opening that were that were focusing on good beer and in some corporate owned places and we said you know what we really like is we like small independently owned places where you can meet the owner and those places somehow is did, did it you know was it just a whatever collaboration or you know um, or was it just nature that 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 the small owned places did the best job of promoting the beer? of having beer education, of having hospitality, you know, was it something that a larger bar would have to buy? You know, it, it, it seemed like it was missing. I think I'm trying to say the hospitality and the, the sense of the importance of the beer and, and the, the beer education seemed to be missing from the larger establishments. So this association, you feel, raised the bar? Yeah, so uh, I, th- I think that we realized... Bar, raised the bar of bars. <laughs> yeah, we, we like places where it's like, oh, the, the, I'm going to say it again, small owner-operated small owner operated places seem to have the right vibe, seem to represent the beers the way that, that, that we like, seem to be the places we wanted to go. And uh, as I talked to one or two bar owners, I talked to the guy who owned Burp Castle, I talked to the guy who owns DBA, and next thing they all, they all recommended one or two other guys. And next thing you know, we had 15 bars. Hmm. They were all the same in, in the sense that they were small, independently owned, that their focus was really good craft beer. And um, we, we had a very short list, and we're like, wow, there might be a few more than this, but there's, there's not that many places that are doing this. You know, a lot of places are serving beer, but there weren't that many that were really focused on just serving good craft beer and, and a, you know, kind of intimate... Well, an example of what a good promoter you are, by forming this association, you even then went to the mayor's office, Mayor Bloomberg, and... You got yeah, a proclamation, we, we wrote to the right? mayor and we said, well, why, don't, "Why don't we write to the mayor? This will be our big our PR push was going to be will the mayor declare July to be Good Beer Month?" And then after we had the posters printed, we got a phone call, and and we said, "Oh, we better change our poster because <laughs> the mayor did did proclaim July to be Good Beer Month, and they're doing it again this year too." So that one, this is the second year running. Very appropriate you're on now. Here we are at the end of June because hey, you've got events happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So July in New York City, July is officially Good Beer this Month. This will be the right? second year, and uh, the mayor's office has called us so we know we're going to get it again and uh, it's kind of like an open platform thing R- rather than having one person just control and program and, and, and plan it's become an open platform Edible Brooklyn Edible in Manhattan jumped mm-hmm. on board last year they set up an event called Good Beer at BAM which is a great like beer and food event at BAM Cafe it's going to be July 11th this year mm-hmm. it's a really it's kind of intimate for beer events it's intimate there's only about 400 tickets sold and, and you get to meet f- 15 different restaurateurs with their food and, and 15 different brewers or their, their representatives. And it's a really nice event. People th- And we, the beer is served in wine glasses, stemmed wine glasses. And, and you walk around, and, and it's kind of like more like a wine tasting than a beer tasting. But no one had done anything like that, and everyone's like, wow, that's a great beer tasting. So Edible, Edible came in and did that. Now some of the breweries on board. Brooklyn Brewery is doing a couple small events. 
uh, Kelso, which is an, another brewery in, in Brooklyn, they're going to do a boat cruise to kick off the month, July 2nd. And July 31st, they're going to end it with a hot dog eating competition. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some of us, some of the Good Beer Seal Bar owners got together uh, with Josh Zersky, who's a food writer, and we're putting on this event called Mutopia on July 11th. And that's going to be 30... From Governor's Island, Yeah, right? 30 yeah. barbecuers and chefs, including Fatty Q. Yeah. And um, we're going to have Six Points going to be our exclusive beer, and they're going to make a custom beer on... Uh, uh, smoked ale. We're going to meet next Monday, the 28th at Six Point Brewery, and we're going to get together and make a custom smoked ale for the event. Just for the event. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. And that's yeah. a historic kind of There kind you of go. Beer. It is. Definitely. talk about is. some history. Yeah. I'll tell you about smoke. Mind if I talk about smoked smoked beers? Well, can we, you want to talk about that now, or, or do, let's define craft. What is a craft, craft beer? beer? I mean, it, people talk about this, you know, craft beer movement. Oh, come here, we'll order this craft beer from the menu. What? What designates a craft beer from, you know, let's say a Bud? bud? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the first thing is size of production. And, and I, I don't, I think craft is kind of def, is defining itself still. Um, I think the, use, the word's getting used by a lot of different people. But I still think if you say craft beer, you, you, there's a sense of some small production, quality ingredients. But there's not, like, the only true uh, definition of, like, a, a beer, there's a Reheitz. It's a German purity law. I forget what it's called. Rahides and boats or something. Right, they did. A, it's, yeah. it's a in the 1500s they passed that that purity law. That yeah. was a, like 1575, I think. Yeah, and 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 that's the only country. I think Norway also does it. That's the only country that really defines what beer can be, and no other country does that. So hmm. you know, you can go to Germany. There's like a certain kind of grain, and um, there's yeast, and there's hops, and water, and that's it. You know, and there's nothing else. You can't add anything else. Like in Belgium, you you can do things with uh, flavorings. You can uh, add candied sugar to to boost the alcohol level. Hmm. Um, and if you ever drink a really good German beer, you realize, wow, I don't get a headache. Yeah. Because they're not adding sugar. They're not adding other things. But you mentioned the small, intimate, you know, 400 ticket rotation. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, it's true. You go to Germany and there are these beer halls that are just in the beer gardens, which are fabulous. But, I mean, they're just huge. Of course, you bring a picnic, or they do serve some Librecasa or something, you know, and you drink some good beer. That came to New York too in the in the late eighteen hundreds, and the Germans came in, and they there were big, huge beer halls in New York City. So yeah, beer halls and rats. Even I, I saw a, an old photo of Chinatown, and even uh, Chinese restaurants use the word rat sculler. Hmm. It'd be like you know, dumpling rat sculler or something. Yeah, yeah. So here we are going back to back to craft beers and and. But you said it's not necessarily the size of the brewer. I mean, isn't uh, well, there's some large producers yeah, who I mean, are, the, do the, make craft beer? The example beers. from Germany is that all, all German breweries have to have to f- follow the purity law, but they could be as big as Beck's or as small as as a little microbrewery. Mm-hmm. Um, so that hasn't really defined craft. It just says that they have, they have laws about the ingredients. Um, so in this country, you know, microbrewing it is defined. I think it's defined as making fewer than like fifty thousand barrels. But craft beer is different from microbrew. I mean, they're, they're yeah, well, I'm saying microbrew there. is is defined. Some someone might might uh, correct me on this, but I'm pretty sure it's fifty thousand barrels, which means a hundred thousand kegs a year, which is nothing. Because hmm. bud, it, it's kind of like craft beer is kind of like the anti bud. I think that's the way to define it. But my, microbrewing, you know, a microbrewery is is defined. There's a nanobrewery, which is like five gallons or something. Home, that's in your kitchen. Yeah. Well, you can, there's, there's guys doing it commercially. That that there's a guy, uh, Sean Bell, up in Vermont. A couple other guys, and and uh, they have a very small, almost like a homebrew setup, and, and they have a license and they sell it. Well, Vermont you know? was Vermont was real a forerunner in uh, in craft brews. I think. I mean, to my 
memory knowledge. You know, back in the in the eighties, there were there were a lot of you know Magic Hat and all these things popping up all over the place. And yeah, uh, and now a lot of those guys aren't technically microbrews. I, I don't. I know that. Like, they, but are they craft? Are they craft? I mean, yeah. they did brew a lot. I mean, now they're sold. You know, Long Trail, so they're all sold in, in grocery stores. Yeah. So you got to say what what's craft? Well, I, I think that size does matter because you know you're assuming that the smaller production is going to get probably a, a better quality ingredient and a little more attention to it. Um, it's also the I think it's like a PR thing too. Craft kind of defines a lifestyle. Hmm. It, it's it's uh, you know, it's it's the beer that's not Budweiser. It, it's almost, that's the easiest way to define it. Yeah. If you're not one of those big breweries, Budweiser, Miller, or Coors, you can almost say you're craft. But there's also, so. there's regional breweries too. Right. So there's some that you wouldn't really call them craft, but they're regional. I think craft assumes that, you know, maybe it's an IPA. Maybe there's more flavor, <laughs> I think, uh, or it's really well made, or there's some really interesting, you know, qualities to it, which come down to the ingredients yeah. and the Well, now we're going to define IPA for our listeners too, and... And talk about the flavorings and the ingredients and smoked beer when we come back after a short break. Okay. are back on A Taste of the Past and with Jimmy Carbone and beer. And we've got a few, to, just to describe and, and explain um, to all of you what a craft beer is and the different flavorings. Jimmy brought along some beers. I'm sorry you can't taste them, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> and the first one he opened for me is Saisonette, an Italian saison. Ale brewed with spices. Juniper, chinotto peel, coriander, Hmm, let's see what this is like. Let's so this is a, a real craft beer. I mean, this is like the best ingredient. You got. <laughs> well, that, was a, that was a pour, right. Linda. That was <laughs> right. great. All right. And, uh, you know, this is a real small production beer, and it's got unique ingredients that were, that were um, you know, native to that part of Italy, like Chinotto. And uh, it's, it's a Saison style, which is like, a, you know, kind of a Belgian-style beer. It's like, and uh, a lot of the, a lot of s- small, um, you know, 
breweries around the world are, are doing what this beer is, is they're taking like a, a, a traditional style, like a Belgian Saison, and they're, they're adding you know, their local ingredients to it. Um, well, now, adding flavorings like this, this would be out of the, the realm, then, of what the Germans consider, you know, their, their purity law. Yeah, right? the, the Germans wouldn't do this. But right. most of the other countries, people do add flavors. Now, I, it's not as aromatic as I expected. I expected it to be a little, a little it's, it's very light, it's very nice. Yeah, and it's it's, it's also bitter. cold. It's, it's, it's cold. Finish. It just came out of the, the bottle and just took it in a taxi. Mm-hmm. But it's it's yeah, it's a very it's a very subtle beer. Mm-hmm. Just that finish, that little chinoto kind of slight bitterness. Yeah, not but not yet not a bitter that you know that stays with you. Just yeah, and this is this is the kind of beer that people that are making all over the world right now. You know, um, even in Nordic countries, and and uh, they're, they're they're taking Belgian style and they're adding some of their own local flavors and ingredients. So it's slight, slightly unique. But it's a, you know this is the ultimate craft beer. Like these places in, in like Italy, there's some of the best craft breweries in the world right now. Really small. There's even one in a prison, huh. where you know kind of like monks. You're, you're in a monastery. You're almost in a prison. Their idea is like, well, these guys are, are in prison. Let's get them, let's let's get them, get them, them to work right? and let's uh, <laughs> you know sell beer and, and pay for the prison. Well, what a smart idea. And yeah. um, so there's and then another thing I brought. I brought this uh, pretty good California IPA, Bear Republic, Indian Pale Ale for those who are. India not, pale a, not, not well informed on beers, you know. And, I think uh, everyone knows that these days. The story of India Pale Ale, if, if you, it's pretty straightforward, but it's another good food history. You know, uh, people in Britain drank a lot of beer. You know, three, two, three hundred years ago, more, more people drank beer than water. They had they had uh, kind of lighter versions of beer that they called milds. Um, and there was even some beer that, that was hardly beer at all, but but it's what people drank. People didn't really drink water. They didn't drink water for a good yeah. <laughs> reason. The water they could, they didn't know the source of the water. They didn't, they'd get sick if they drank the water. So all, all the troops, you know, the the Brits were in India. Better bourbon. <laughs> and all the troops needed beer. And the beer, by the time it got there, it was spoiled. So they added hops to, for as preservative because hops is a and preservative. And that's where the hops came in, huh? And they they added the alcohol. They, they boosted the alcohol level, mm. so they made it a stronger beer with hops that that traveled well. And uh, that was that's the style was born the India Pale Ale, which now is making a huge comeback. Everybody drinks IPA. Yeah. And every craft brewery makes an IPA because it's kind of it to me it is kind of the beer of the craft beer movement. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially a lot of people who don't like the. The heavier, you know, wheat flavor, the real heavy beers, you, you know, you taste the IPA and it's like, oh, it's, it's elegant. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one, one reason, talking about flavors, I think that's one reason why I think the craft, the original craft breweries made beers with more flavor than Bud. That was one thing they did to, to stand out. And that's the reason why people often go from drinking like a Bud or a Miller to, to a better beer. They go to a beer with more flavor and, uh, you know, one style is, um, is an IPA. Hmm. And, and, and and often in a bar, you'll pretty much see IPA in almost every bar now. But people who think of themselves as beer drinkers are like, oh, yeah, I'll drink the IPA. It's kind of like the go-to beer now. Well, what when you go to order um, some of these craft beers, what we didn't mention before is that a craft beer does not necessarily mean it has to be local. I mean, you, just, you brought you brought imported beers. You brought a, brought a German. You brought a, or, I mean, a, an Austrian. A Belgian Belgian and Indi- German and Italian, Italian right. and California, and California, right? Yeah. So it's it's not that it has to be local. You can there. No. Well, if, if if anything is the the local beers that are made here that I like the best, I like Chelsea Brewery, I like Brooklyn, I like Kelso, I like um, Six Point, of course, because I'm I'm always drinking Six Point. But um, mostly I get their beer on draft. Hmm. So I could I could have put some in a little growler for you, like right. a little container, but yeah. I didn't. So that's the other reason I have I have my bottle beers are imported, imported right. but most of the local beers I carry a draft. 
So how are you going to? So how are you going to do the smoked? How, how are they? How is Six Points <laughs> going to do a smoked beer? Well, that, talking again about history. Um, s- s- originally, when, when you know to they turn the grain in, 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 into into malt or malt or grain, they have to roast it. Right. And they roast it to different colors to get different flavors. But also, a, as you get a dark a darker malt, that's what they call the roasted grain. Um, it actually influenced the color of the beer. So. Um, at one point, the only way to roast grain was over an open fire. Over a fire. Yeah. So, and any beer, I believe that any beer historically probably had a hint of smoke in it, because yeah. as they as they roasted the malt, it absorbed the flavors, including the smoke. And they put and on I a think, new log, and yeah. the smoke rose up, and there. You <laughs> That's go. it. So, uh, I think that all all uh, beers used to have a, a hint of smoke, huh. and it was probably only when they had enclosed ovens and things, maybe two hundred years ago, um, that you were able to like you know bake. The malt without without getting the smoke flavor in there, so um, you know it's another another thing about wow. As things got more modern, more technology, they took out the flavor, they took out the color, but the, the real way that the beer was made had 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 little smokiness to it, had a little color to it. You know, like a, a light a lightish brown kind of beer was probably what everyone drank. Yeah, well, I think you're right about the smoking. That probably everything did have a smoky flavor. Interesting, because I'm going to a a tea and wine tasting next week, and you know tea tastings of being compared a lot of the to the you know the flavors of wines and there are some of the um, old and fine teas are very smoky as well very smoky teas lapshongs are i love know, i love smoke yeah teas. they smell like smoke so i i think it would i think it'd be great to you know taste that smoky. yeah so i mean I'd, i'm not sure how we're going to do it but i mean they're they're the brew masters that they're going to take care of it at six point but um. of course after you eat all that smoked <laughs> meat are you going to be able to taste the smoke in the beer i don't know <laughs> It might you know be hard to discern one from the other. Right? Well, that's a throwback beer. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, retro beer, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But the funny thing is, like, I'm sure you you experience this with food all the time. It's like as things got more modern, like the, the flavors get stripped out, and and uh, that's one thing that mass production could do as yeah. well. They can make a really clean beer that without flavor. And, but what are we? What are we? You know, what are we yeah. drinking? What are we eating? We can't tell. You know? So that's the whole craft beer movement too. Is like, hey, you know, the way that beer was made, and a lot of people are going back to old recipes. You know, you'll see 1807 Berliner Weiss, or these—they're going back to a recipe that that had once been made that was no longer made. And uh, there's there's just so much diversity of flavor. There's sour beers. Mm-hmm. There's beers beers aged in wood. There's really hoppy beers like the IPA. There's really strong beers like triples. I mean, the diversity of beer now it's better than ever. But it's all because of the craft beer movement. Right. Well, it's interesting. I just heard a commercial on the radio the other day for some place in New Jersey where you can come and. You don't even brew your own. You just come and show up and tell them what what kind of grain you want in there, and they'll cook it up for you. And you come back, you know, half a day later, and you got your beer. I mean, this move, this is huge. I mean, this is catching. The, I mean, it's not a bad thing. It might not, you know, the quality of the beer. I'm sure is not all that great. But but I think what it speaks to is the fact that this movement is huge. People are really appreciating their beer. It's not. It's no. They're no longer satisfied just to have that bubbly liquid with no flavor but you know you get a buzz on after a few beers yeah. you know that they really want to taste what they're drinking and you're right that they're back to you know the craft movement where you really can taste taste what it is taste i mean in, in the 80s th- there was a kind of this first boom where there were all these small craft breweries i think that in new york city in the late 80s there were at least 11 micro brews or, or brew pubs wow there was zip city brewery there, there were a few others i don't I remember even remember city, yeah. and uh, i think by the early 90s the only one left was was brooklyn Huh. And um, because it was like that first boom, everybody said, "Let's open a brewery. Let's open a microbrew." Brew pubs were all over the country. A lot of them failed. And um, why do you think that is? People, the movement hadn't caught on. Yeah, yet, I, I think you know, early adapters. It was the, the, something that's really new. A lot of people rushed into it. Um, but then what happened was that set the tone, and then a little more 
professional breweries were set up where they had you know some financing a really good brewer you know there, there were brewers more brewers then too so there were there was more talent and initially there there weren't that many brewers, brewers so people right. were, might have made started making it's like opening a small restaurant which you can still do maybe you started cooking at home and the next thing you know, let's open a restaurant well i guess at one time that might have worked for a small brewery but it doesn't work like that anymore well it's funny the late 60s um not to date myself, early 70s. <laughs> that, I mean, the huge movement was, you know, make your own wine at home kind of thing. And then it, the movement kind of, you know, translate, transformed into, you know, learn to brew your beer at home. And that came about, I guess, in the late 80s and the 90s. You know, a lot everyone was a home brewer suddenly. So it's, it's interesting that the movement has, you know, has caught on. A little bit yeah, and, little, and, and actually, great. there was a law, and there was something leftover legacies from prohibition about home brewing. And um, Jimmy Carter signed a law. And I'm not sure exactly what it was, but whatever he signed, it enabled people to make more beer at home, and also for more smaller breweries to start up. Hmm. Um, it, it was an important law because if he hadn't made that, this this what we're talking about now would never have happened. Well, I imagine it was, you know, I mean not that profitable initially and why a lot of those brew pubs failed. I mean, the sourcing of the grains and, you know, the hops, I mean, a lot of where they got it would depend on what their final product tasted like too. Yeah, and, and there and wasn't what they had to pay. There wasn't the market either. You know, right. it, it takes a while to develop. It's really that, that next generation. It's like the kids who are, you know, out of college, maybe in their twenties are kind of grew up having the, the exposure to some good beer. And, um, you know, by the time they got out of college, this is what they expected. I mean, that's what we see at Jimmy's Number 43 and the other good, good beer sale bars is this is what people drink. Yeah. You know, they don't even think about drinking a Bud. They're just drinking good beer. And um, that's what they, they're used to. So you, you have the audience kind of in place for the industry to grow around, too. Yeah. That's interesting. I think I'll go out and start growing. Uh, <laughs> well, if you want to get into hops, that's... <laughs> right. If you looked at Edible Brooklyn, there's a great cover that, that just came out this week. And it's it's a, a guy, um, God, Ben. He owns Beercraft, which is a really oh, yeah. great beer yeah, store. Yeah. And and he's tending a 40-foot... Hops really grow high. And in his backyard, he, he, he always grows hops. There's a 40-foot hop plant in his backyard, and he's up on a ladder. Oh. And that's, that's the cover photo. It's really great. <laughs> but that kind of shows the movement, too, that people are actually... He's a home brewer, but he also has a beer shop, and he's he's much more uh, known as as a beer retailer. I mean, he's got one of the best shops in the city, but he's also a home brewer, and he also grows his own hops. So that's kind of like he's like the complete beer guy. There you go. Or it's that's, like six point, you know, Shane at six point two. He was a home brewer, and uh, they started real small with, with their six point brewery, and um, they've been expanding, and um, it's still a great place to go. I mean, he's still like there, hands on. He's got some uh, great young guys working with him. Uh, interesting. I I think that. Um I mean, the people who really love beer um, and and love the taste of beer um, have helped this movement along. And people like you, of course, who host the events. And you, it's great because you represent, you will bring in and host events for a lot of different beer makers. I notice them coming through. Not only that, I mean, you host events for other food people all the time, yeah. too. But, but the different... You know the different beers that come out that people might not be exposed to otherwise, and it's a great. Well, that's like I said. That's what all the, all the really good. There's right now. There's 27 good beer seal bars. You can go to goodbeerseal.com good and look at the good list. Goodbeerseal.com. Good beer and, and it was kind of a joke. It's actually a seal picture of a yes, seal I drinking see, a beer. <laughs> I did see that. Yes, but you know, goodbeerseal.com, and then those 27 bars, they all have tastings all the time. So if you ever, so for example, July Good Beer Month, what we're suggesting is, hey, go to, try each bar. You know, in one month, go to, go to all 27 bars. And if you do, we'll give you a T-shirt. Beer Sessions <laughs> T-shirt. <laughs> beer Seal? Beer Sessions Radio. Oh, I'm plugging my radio show. Oh, good. All right. But now, this is New York 
alone? I mean, can you are you looking to expand and and go throughout the country, throughout the U.S. and try to spread? We're spread going the to word? see. I mean, the, the, this year getting up to twenty seven in New York, it, it's you know this is the second year. Uh, we've heard that people think we should give the seal to restaurants, brew pubs, retail shops. Um, so we're going to have to think. I think, you know, in the fall, some of us will get together and we'll start thinking about what, what's the next step. This could grow into a very big business. <laughs> yeah, well, at, at this point, it's not a business. It's a, more like a hobby. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we've targeted But it's a some, lot of work. I mean, because a lot you, of work. You, you, know, you have and, to qualify, you know, which. And there's some really good beer cities. Like it. Chicago's a good beer town, mm-hmm. Philadelphia, even D.C. now. There's like a whole new resurgence with a new president and there's new restaurants opening. And, um, you know, it might be city by city. Maybe maybe we'll go to another city or two and do a good beer sale there. Well, just get somebody interested and tell them how to do it and, you know, expand. And they can come on the radio expand show. Expand your, yeah, <laughs> expand your horizons there. Well, I think this, is, this has been really an education for me because um, I enjoy beer, but I don't really know much about craft beers, whatever's given to me. And someone says, oh, this is really a good, you know. Chinook ale or something, or you know, and, and I have no idea until I taste it, and I go, "Well, it's definitely not you know your standard beer." So this is this is interesting to to hear you talk about the the actual process, and I encourage people that not to just you know throw down a few brewskis. Well, that's good too, but to go and and actually order, go to one of these, look up goodbeerseal.com if you're in New York and if you're not in New York go to your local brew pub and and ask somebody for I'm sure any bartender would help give an education right I mean yeah a, a lot of bartenders know about beer there's a great yeah. program it's called the Cicerone training program and they're training people that work in bars to be certified beer servers hmm. it's a great program there's a gentleman named Sam Merritt Oh, he's, he's on a, your sh- he's Yeah, on your he's, a, he's part of Beer Sessions Radio, yeah. and he's got civilizationofbeer.com. He does a lot of beer education classes. I think he's probably the leading beer educator right now in the whole city. Hmm, interesting. That's if you want to, you can, you can take courses with him at, um, I think, at ICE, as well as uh, his Civilization Beer courses at Jimmy's Number 43, which he does for the industry. Terrific. Learning about beer. We it's love got, it. I, I actually learned most of what I know uh, about beer from his course. Hmm. See, we have to learn all over again. And here it was, the oldest beverage. And we're just rediscovering it all over again. I think that's great. Well, I, what I would like to um, to thank you is for your, your great show and for your great brew pub. And well, I guess, what do, you, what do you call it? A beer bar. Beer bar. Beer bar with food. <laughs> beer bar. <laughs> I call it the Uber beer bar. Yeah, it's a good beer bar. And event space, too. I mean, you, you're, you've got a terrific event space. You've got, you know. Yeah, tonight we have the, all the, the, the Vista volunteers from Just Food, which huh. is a great food organization. They had a, a year's worth of volunteers from the Vista program. Um, and and, and they're, they're leaving, but they're having a party tonight at Jimmy's Number 43. If you want to come meet some, some cool food people, Just Food people, they're at Jimmy's Number 43 tonight. There you go. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jimmy Carbone. Beer Sessions on HeritageRadioNetwork.com and Jimmy's 43 in the East Village. I'm Linda Palaccio. I'd like to thank our producer, um, Jack Inslee, and our engineer, Nat Wiener. Too much beer, see? (laughs) And, of course, our sponsor, TechServe. And Heritage Foods USA. Don't forget, if you call in, you'll get those free pork chops. Jimmy Carboni and our live callers have all received 365-day gift cards, compliments of Zagat. Use this 365-day Zagat.com gift card to enjoy trusted Zagat ratings and reviews derived from the opinions of 375,000 surveyors around the globe, all conveniently located in one place. 
Go to www.zagat.com for more information. Thanks for listening.